Why is it important to maintain love and truth? And what is the rule of 40? Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the holy one. What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith Podcast where we talk the walk, and walk it too. Before we dive in, I just want to apologize to those of you listening. I know we had to skip our normal upload schedule last week. We had some mm-hmm. scheduling conflicts, followed by some horrible weather and road conditions, and it just yeah. wasn't safe to get to our recording site. So we decided, since it was our February edition of No Holds Barred anyway, to just skip it. We didn't really want to, but we did. Yep. So we're not going to be able to make up that episode. So... This week, at least in this top half of the episode, I'm going to kind of keep it a little free and loose so we can right kind on. of cover some of the things that we may have wanted to talk about last week. It's not a true No Holds Barred, which for those of you that are new, No Holds Barred is just our monthly episode where we just open the mics up, no agenda, no script, just talk from the heart. Like I say, this isn't going to be a, a true proper replacement for that, but we'll keep it a little bit loose right on. this week. But before we do that, you got a joke for us, Chris? I do. Yesterday, a clown held the door open for me. I thought it was a nice gesture. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I like it. That's uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. So, go ahead. No, you're good. I don't. I don't have an actual joke, but I do have a story that's sort of like a joke. All right. On. So the other day, Steph, my wife, and my twelve-year-old Grace were all sitting on the couch. I think. I think we were watching the Super Bowl. Actually, uh, don't judge me for watching that trash, but. anyway so we had football on the mind and and steph opened up a story about uh what was it it was it was something about the top top quarterbacks and something some stat i can't remember what it was it it doesn't really matter And she was having me guess who the top ones were Mm -hmm. right because she didn't think i there was one she was surprised about i'm missing the point sorry getting getting off into the weeds point is quarterback got mentioned and no, I'm sorry. It wasn't quarterback. It was, it was, it was all together. One. Of, okay. Let me start over. I can't remember what the stat was, but it was multiple players of different positions. And one of the positions was a fullback. Okay. Right. And Grace goes, what's a fullback? Oh, wait, wait. I, I know. It's like the quarterback, but they go all the way back. <laughs> and she was deadpan serious. <laughs> I haven't let her forget it ever since. I told her I was definitely going to tell that as a joke on here. <laughs> So, Grace, I hope you're listening. I hope you appreciate that. Right Quarterback on. is not the one that goes a quarter of the way back. <laughs> <Just so you know. laughs> so, that was my semi-joke. You can thank Grace for that. Right on. Uh, What's pretty, been on your mind? Man? That's pretty good. Well, so I got a couple of things. First of all, if this phone goes off, I'm going to tell you this is a new phone. No excuse. Uh, and I know it's no excuse. I know, I know. But if it goes off, I'm pretty sure I've silenced it. To be fair, the only reason mine is silenced right now is because the notification went off right. five minutes before we hit right, record, yeah, so right, right. I won't judge too harshly. So, um, <laughs> so I don't know. So, I mean, I've kind of had this kind of tumbling around in my head for a couple of weeks now. Um, so I won't, I won't mention any names, but, um, so my wife and I, we, we tend to 
take on a series like a TV series and we watch it from beginning to end, you know, very like a binge str- watch. Yeah, like a binge watch, but we don't sit down and do it all the time. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, like we'll watch one or two episodes a night or something. Um, it's probably good because there's not too many TV shows worth watching. So you got to right. kind of space those out, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, well, I mean, we're reaching, you know, for a long time there, we were watching a little house on the prairie. Yeah, which I love that show. A, I love that show. I I grew up watching it. Um, you know, it came on. You know, right after The Price Is Right, but before the mm-hmm. soaps. Yeah, we've been watching a lot of retro shows to yeah. you know, to distract your story. Yeah, yeah Sorry. right on. So uh, so you know, we finished up a little House on the Prairie. So we went to a uh, to another show, and um, so again, this this show is popular. And well, I'll just go ahead and say it. it's Doctor Quinn. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I used to watch that when I was a kid. So, uh, again, it was one where Holly hadn't really watched it, but my mom was a a very avid fan of it. Yeah, Uh, so was my mom. So, because, and I still remember the, I believe it was, it was Saturday Night Lineup was Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Yep. Then Hercules. (laughs) Yeah. And then Xena. Yeah. (laughs) But but normally, like halfway through Hercules and, and, Way before Xena, I would fall asleep. Yeah, you know, but you probably didn't miss a lot, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, as long I mean, as you get the Walker, you're yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, so um, <laughs> I like me some Kevin Sorbo too. Yeah, I do too. I, I was say I liked Hercules, but mostly because I like Kevin Sorbo, um, especially nowadays. But he's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But um, so anyway, so in the show, um, and this is what kind of set it off was, and I don't know if. Some people are are gonna probably might be really big fans of the show and might butcher you know or might butcher me online over this, but they'll live. Um, so uh, one of the side characters that was introduced like halfway through the series, not the a season, but the series, mm-hmm. um, became a widower on the show, and then a couple about a season after that, um, the mayor of the town, I think his name's Jake. I get the names confused with it's the guys. It's been so long since right, I've watched yeah. that show. I don't anyways, think I've watched the, an episode yeah. since I was a kid, to be honest. So, I mean, so so not to get too far out in the weeds of the actual setting it up. Um, so he falls in love with this widow. And, you know, they court for a while. And then he asks her for her hand in marriage. And she says yes. And so the next thing is, is oh, you get to meet my family. So she sends for her family. Um which is her grandma and her, I believe it's her cousin. And so it turns out they're Catholic. Right. right? So for all intents and purposes, I think, you know, Jake is probably like, I, I want to say like, I mean, it's all, it's all underneath the umbrella of Christianity. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm not quite sure exactly what denomination he would be if it's like, old school Pentecostal, like a Quaker or something, Quaker, you know, early Baptist. I'm not quite sure, but anyways, they don't follow the same traditions that the Catholics do. Mm -hmm. Right. So the grandma and the cousin come in. I don't know. I'm taking a long time to set this up. No, you're good. I'm going somewhere with it. You're good. Um, so they meet the family and one of the, so the cousin turns out he is a priest. In the, in, in the Catholic religion. So he's asking him, he sits him down for what all intents and purposes is marriage counseling. Right. Asks them questions about, you know, about certain things. And the first thing that comes up is, well, Jake, which is the guy, are you ready to convert to Catholicism? And he goes, well, I 
didn't really think that that was necessary. You know, I've never impeded her and her religion. You know, she still goes to mass and he goes, well, you know, that's an important thing in our family that, that you have the Catholic faith. And he goes, well, I'll just start going to mass with her. And she goes, I have to take a train three hours to go to mass. Are you going to do that? He's like, yeah, I'll do that. And so then, so then the question of, well, eventually you're going to, you're going to want kids, right? And they both go, yeah, we want kids. And he goes, well, and she goes, well, before you even ask, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I've already told her she can raise the kids, whatever religion she wants to. And he's like, well, I'm glad to hear that. But what happens when those kids look to the man of the house, their father for religion? Mm hmm. What are you going to tell them? Are you going to tell them to follow the Christian? I shouldn't say follow the Christian faith. Follow your faith or follow Catholicism. Right. And he goes, oh, I hadn't thought of that. And so in a roundabout way, you know, mom, the, the grandma disapproves of the marriage. But, you know, love conquers all. So <laughs> they're pushing through and, you know, it's a TV show, right? So we all, you know, spoiler alert, we all know the ending. They end up getting married because... I love him and he loves me. And that's all we need in this world. Yeah. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. Right. Even though these heavy hitting questions were asked and they were glossed over. No real resolution. No real resolution that at the end of the episode, I will say that the, even the, the cousin, which is, which was, he was initially against the wedding because Jake wasn't, or the husband wasn't a Catholic background, changed his mind. Because they love each other so much. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to change, basically change my mind. And then actually co, I, I co-officiates the wedding with the town's pastor. Because Jake, in the beginning, the husband, Jake, um, I'm pretty sure that's his name, wanted the, he asked the, the town preacher or the town pastor to officiate the wedding and his fiance was under the impression that her cousin, the priest, was going to do it. So he had already, Jake had already, you know, obtained the 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 pastor wanting, or the the pastor's officiating. So he was like, "Oh, now I got to go back and tell the pastor that he can't officiate our wedding." And all these changes were being made, and that's like the whole show was him making all these changes to fit essentially her religion and i'm not saying again don't I'm, i don't want to i don't want to make it like i'm saying there's something wrong with catholicism that's a another another episode entirely i can say it for you there's but, plenty wrong with catholicism <laughs> we can get into that but it was time. but it was the point of the the point is is that you're changing very key aspects of your personality mm -hmm. to get married so that kind of led into you know we had a we had a brief discussion about it before, um, about the uh, a man's role in a marriage, and what a a religious bonding marriage what is. the dynamic yeah what the like. dynamic should look like. So and then this is gonna probably be a loaded question because I know your I know your your I know your mind on it uh, at least I think I do. So that led me to look up the you know of course the divorce rating mm -hmm. or the divorce rates right so in 19 1981 
the divorce rate was 53%. In 2021, it went down, but it was still 43%. So it's still roughly one half or one in every two marriages will end in divorce. Mm -hmm. So I can't help but think if the love conquers all mentality was still there, obviously that's not the case because there's big issues in people getting married and that caused them for divorce. Right. So my, my question posed is, and I mean, and this comes from, you know, Holly and I have been together since 2003, yeah. mar married in 2011. And I feel like we're just now hitting our stride. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> like, I can like, relate. I, like we're just now hitting our stride and, uh, and she has shown me, you know, godly like grace. I can't tell you how many times, um, and it reciprocated both ways, but you know, I'm, I'm a tough pill to swallow, man. <laughs> so <laughs> I wouldn't get to say it. Right. So, um, so I'm like, I just, I can't help but think like, I, it used to be where I would hear the term marriage counseling and the, or not marriage counseling, but I think there's a different term for when, um, basically, a, a young couple meets with a pastor mm -hmm. and, you know, they go through those questions. Like, where are you guys at? Not only spiritually, but where are you guys at with other issues, other key issues that are in the world today that will, will kind of be hard dividing lines in, you know, in a marriage, right? You know, where are you at with religion? Where are you at with money? Where are you at with, with politics, things that I feel like basically like it's part of the discipleship that, that we talk about here Yeah. of if, if you were, if you saw a young man about to get himself into a situation that, that you don't think was right, it, it's kind of your job as to decide, you know, to reach mm -hmm. out to him and say, Hey, you know what, you know, I, I don't say don't get married, but have you thought about this? Right. Which is what, I believe her that they were trying to per, portray her cousin as doing from his side of the religion is, you know, Hey, th this is, these are serious questions, mm -hmm. you know? And like I said, they kind of glossed over it in the, for the TV show shake of, you know, love conquers all again. Right. But it's like things like, like that are what ends marriages, mm -hmm. you know? So, and I'm not saying that that's, the one thing that will break up a marriage, but it's a big aspect of it. It is. Right. Yeah. Cause you might not think of it now, but when your kids come to you of, you know, they have a pet dies, where does that pet die? Well, honey, it goes to heaven and the other person's not a very religious person. Well, you know, they, they could believe in reincarnation or, mm -hmm. you know, all that, that animal spirit comes back to you through another animal. And you just, it's like, and I guess what I'm what I'm kind of getting at is, do you think that some I or I feel like some sort of marriage counseling needs to be implemented again? I do. I actually I'm a, I'm a, I'm an advocate for that. That's one thing that Catholicism does that I I do agree with. I don't agree with what they teach mm -hmm. in it, but I I agree with the heart behind that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of, of going through some sort of counseling ahead of time to make sure that you're 
really as compatible as you think you are. Right. Right. And it's not all about compatibility, right? I don't, that's kind of a loose term, Mm -hmm. but I think broadly speaking, a lot of marriages fail because they, they get married for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. I think they're very emotionally charged and very physically charged. And it's more of, it's more of a lust thing than a love thing. Mm -hmm. Right. I think we've, we've conflated love and lust together. And I think, you know, that feeling fades, that emotion's going to fade at some point. And if you don't have legitimate action oriented love, and it's kind of funny because that's actually what I wanted to talk about in a minute is love. If you don't have legitimate action oriented love at the foundation of your marriage, once that emotion fades, there's nothing left. There's literally nothing left. And if the only reason you got married was a physical attraction, you're going to find that physical attraction somewhere else when that fades. Right. And I think broadly speaking, when we're including even non-believers in the equation, it's probably a huge reason why we see those divorce rates so high. Mm -hmm. As far as believers, I think what you described is the concept of being unequally yoked. Yep. And I think we don't take faith seriously enough. There's a couple reasons that I find it really interesting. You bring that specific example up from that show. A, I kind of identify with that. My wife was raised Catholic and we're not considered legitimately married by the Catholic church because I'm not Catholic. Mm -hmm. There's no way I was going to convert. Right. But we came together and we agreed that our primary objective faith wise was to follow God, follow Jesus wherever he leads us. And it didn't lead us into the Catholic church. It didn't lead us into into denominationalism. It led us into taking a whole Bible approach to our faith and applying it into, to our lives. So we are equally yoked in that. Right. Right. And we've been through some tough times, right? Mm-hmm. Many of those tough times, my fault. I'm a tough pill too. <laughs> right. And I've made some big mistakes that I deeply regret. But we were married for more than just emotion and physical attraction. And that underlying foundation of legitimate Bible-based love is what carried us through those tough times. If you don't have that, you're not going to get through those tough times. And I promise you, the tough times are going to come. Yep. If you've been married for more than five years, tough times are probably already come. They're going to come. Right. It's going to happen. I think most marriages fail around. I might be, I might be misrepresenting this, but I think the average marriage, if it's going to fail, it fails around the seven year mark. Right. Which I find very interesting. That's, and yeah. So <clears throat> I was going to say, I didn't look up. That's a good, that's a good point. I didn't look up that statistic of, of those 43% still today that get divorced. What, mm-hmm. how far do they make it? But I would have put it between three and seven years. Yeah. Myself. Cause that's usually when that, that starts to fade. Mm-hmm. That emotion starts yeah, to fade. And you start left. having issues. You know, you're with each other all the time. Those little quirks are starting to irritate you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sound of the chewing and the, the clicking of the jaw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Sorry. Do you love each other sorry enough to, to the do listeners. That? Yeah. Right. And that's kind of, I guess that's kind of the point that I was making with the, with the, you know, well, love conquers all. And I'm like, yeah, but it, that is true. I mean, to a certain extent, but yeah, to like a degree. you said, it's going to get to, it's going to get to the point when you, when, when you face those tough questions, um, you know, that and you know it's three four years in and it's 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 begin you know we we've put such we've romanticized marriage so much that people just think it's like this hunky go dory thing that you know you're never gonna face hard times and you're always gonna be together and you're always gonna be 
You're always going to be lustful for each other and you're always <laughs> right. going to be, you know, you're always going to be on fire for each other. And I mean, I'll be honest with you. There's times Holly looks at me and she's like, get away from me. Mm, I don't yeah. even want to look at you right now. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like I've had enough of you. So, um, but like you said, I think, you know, you hit on you. I think you hit the kind of the nail on the head with, with what my thinking was, was you don't have to be micro, um, synced up and everything right like holly does not like video games mm-hmm. and she, i mean she knew that from the very minute that i did like them you know but that's one thing where you know okay you like them i don't you understand i'm gonna play them yeah and you understand that i'm not gonna play them yeah we're good right so we move on to the bigger things where you know but then you come to things like well religiously speaking you know you're like you in your example, you're you're you know Stephanie was Catholic and, and you were not, but by and large, following God's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? you know what I mean. And a little bit of the aspect of it too is we've taken marriage away from church and made it into a state issue. Yes, I it's agree. the 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 institute of marriage through the state is not to me is not indicative of what marriage through the Bible, through biblically speaking, marriage is supposed to be. Right. I agree. Right. So in this time, in the time set of Dr. Quinn medicine woman, (laughs) it was, it was closer to what was supposed to be set up through the Bible. Right. Mm -hmm. It was closer to that. And that's why I kind of, that's why I kind of feel like, you know, in the late, you know, 1960s through the 1970s, we can kind of start to point to things that, you know, led to the skyrocketing of marriage to the point of where it's over 53% in 1981. Yeah, the sexual revolution destroyed the nuclear family and destroyed marriages right. 100%. And right. that that has more to do with shifting our focus away from God. Because that was something I was going to mention, you know, those tough times that come, they'll be much less frequent and much less impactful if you have God at the center of your marriage. Right. Right. The God, Jesus, at the center mm-hmm. of your marriage. And keep your eyes focused on him. He'll get you through a lot of, of difficulty, mm-hmm. right, in your marriage. And that's one thing that, that was the other kind of interesting thing that I, I kind of noticed there. In that example you gave, they it seems like the show was focusing on compromising with one another, mm-hmm. right, to come together. And there are some things you should compromise on. Video games, for example. You know, there's there's compromising that can be done there. Faith, though, is not something we should be compromising on. And it seems like they were almost implying that we should. Right. And Steph and I, and this is something I'll elaborate on why we were having this conversation next week. It's not something I'm ready to share yet. But Steph and I were talking uh, earlier today. And it's something that really hit me, and it really hit me heavy. If the tribulation started tomorrow, just as an example, and we found ourselves under the umbrella of the Antichrist rule, Thinking about what I know about far too many, especially popular churches, and then what you shared a couple weeks ago with that statistic on on Christian colleges. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Right. How many Christian colleges were supporting abortion? I don't think the Antichrist ruling would lead to there being very many less Bible colleges, Christian colleges, and seminaries. I think they would do what they always do. They'd compromise. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would lead to a lot of megachurches shutting down. I think they do what they always do. They'd compromise. And that's a problem. 
because we have this idea that's ingrained in us, even at a spiritual level, that somehow compromise is always a good thing because it means that you're loving and it means you're accommodating. It's not. Right. When it comes to God and it comes to faith, compromise is never a good thing. We tend to forget. We, we focus on China's a good example. We focus on the underground Christians in China. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. They're underground and hunted because they're not compromising because they're doing the right thing. The majority of Christians in China, though, are part of the state-sponsored Christian church there. They have a state-sponsored church with a state-sponsored translation that butchers the Bible and makes Jesus look like a sinner with a state-sponsored doctrine and state-sponsored pastors. They compromise. Mm -hmm. And that compromise leads them to a faith that may not be salvational. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. We, We cannot compromise on faith, whether it's in marriage or in our churches or, you know what I mean, or anywhere. We just, we cannot compromise. If he says it, we need to take it seriously. Doctrines and the opinions of church fathers and what pastor says or what professor says, excuse my French, be damned. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what they say. If the father says it, we need to follow him uncompromisingly, Mm -hmm. right? And if we did that, when we're talking about marriage specifically, you would probably see lower divorce rates among believers Mm -hmm. if they weren't compromising their faith for the love of their life. (laughs) Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Which is really just the flavor of the moment mm-hmm. in too many cases. Right. I think it's funny that you bring, that you bring not compromising up because that, you know, my, this, this marriage thing was, was going to be part of the, the open discussion, mm-hmm. which was going to lead, which was going to lead me, you know, cause it's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna, it's going to lead into another loaded question. But in that episode, it's funny how much I got from one episode. <laughs> he can speak to you anywhere. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> he, uh, so the husband, um, was part of the town council and there was a, a crucial vote about another individual in the town to basically allow him to, I can't remember the whole subject, but it was, it was a vote where the, the husband felt strongly one way. He was very convicted to vote. I'm just going to say yay, mm-hmm. but his n- new fiance slash soon to be wife wanted him to vote no on it. Right. So he did what, what I think a lot of American men have this misconcept of, you know, we should just do everything that we're asked by our spouse. Yeah. Right. And he voted against his conviction but then as time went on and he did more and more stuff against his convictions he started realizing hey this isn't right right Mm -hmm. so he went back and he called a new town hall meeting and changed his vote right and he told his wife look this this is what it's going to be this is what i felt like stand up for himself felt good and kind of it kind of you know, and that's in this. And again, like I said, I saw that episode a long time ago, but then it wasn't shortly after that, that remember that story I told you about Abigail asking me about if two women can be married. Yes. Yeah. I remember. And again, if you haven't listened to that episode, my daughter was playing with Barbies and she has like three or four male Barbies and three or four girl Barbies. But the two that she happened to have in her hands were females and they were getting married. Okay. But she turned around and in an innocent way asked me, can two women be married? Right. So I said, no. And to get into the whole conviction side of that, 
It's a whole nother big, long story. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have more discussions about that. But I took a stance and the short answer is no, they cannot be married. So, you know, and then, you know, that led me to, to listening to some other podcasts and kind of translating that into what we're, to what we're doing here. And then you bring it up about not compromising. I feel like I get, and, and I feel like a lot of the times people have in their mind that Christians are just supposed to be meek church mouses mm-hmm. and not stand up for themselves and just go along with the flow, turn the other cheek, you know, all the, the keynote terms that you hear right. that are supposed to be Christian, you know, associated with Christianity. But yet as soon as somebody speaks up against them, Oh, that's not very Christian like. Yep. And the example that I use for that is, you know, years ago. Um, I'm sorry if this is running long. No, dude, you're good. <laughs> so years ago, um, I had a friend that I my heart wasn't in the right place, right? So I had a friend on Facebook that I posted a meme that had a cuss word in it. I think mm-hmm. it was the F word. Um I remember. Right, you remember you remember the I, story? I worked with him. Yep, I remember. Yeah, you remember the story? So I very violently lashed out at him because because basically he said, Look, I can't have this on my Facebook page. I'm sorry to unfriend you. And at that time, and I still kind of have this mentality, look, Facebook Facebook isn't an airport. If you're leaving, just go. I don't need a, I don't need an announcement. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's not an airport. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly. And that's what you're kind saying. of a that's kind of a it's not a, that's kind of a, I think a little bit ugly of a mentality. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, and try, I'm working on that, but that's kind of my mentality. But also on the fact that I'm like, well, it's just one cuss word. Who, who are you so righteous than thou art? You know? So I, I'm like, well, you do what you got to do, man. You know, whatever. So it was a year, it was a couple of years after that, that same person reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen you. What's going on. But again, my heart wasn't in the right place. Right. And I, I very plainly, bluntly put it. I said, look, man, you had a problem with me putting one word, one cuss word on my Facebook page. So no, I don't need your friendship. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And then block, mm-hmm. deleted him, blocked him. So he couldn't access me on Facebook at all. Flash forward. We talked about, you know, working on rebuilding those relationships of, you know, Reaching out to those people that you've wronged. Reconciliation. Yeah. Yep. He was second on my list. Yeah. Second on my list. And he was the person that I reached out to. And he was like, forgiven. Total forgiven. Even even before you even asked, you were forgiven. As soon as you said it, you were forgiven. And I, and I tell you that story, not to tell you about the forgiveness part, but to tell you about the... I'm glad was, does it cut you off. I'm glad you told that because I remember at the time I was so mad at him because like, I, you know, I had right. that mentality that I even came uh, to you about it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Chris is mad. Heck with that guy. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And I regret that. I so, really do. yeah. And, and it's actually funny. It wasn't too long ago that I actually saw him in town. And again, my heart wasn't in the right place. And I literally went out of my way to ignore him mm-hmm. and not make contact with him because I was like, you know fist in the air to that guy you know what i mean yeah so and but then you know i got really convicted i'm like that's not it's not very christian i started thinking about him like really turning it over in my head he stood up 
for a very minute part of his faith, which is, look, you shouldn't be using bad words. I'm sure that, you know, a lot of people could argue one way or the other that, well, it's just one cuss word. No big deal. Mm -hmm. Right. That's compromise. Right. That's a compromise we've taken. Yeah. Right. And he didn't want to compromise. Look, I feel to, to the best of me following my faith that cuss words shouldn't be allowed. I have a congregation to run. I have a witness to protect. I have a witness to protect. I can't allow that on my Facebook. And I lashed out at him for that. Right. Because I'm thinking, well, if he's, a, if he's a true Christian, he just take it. Just, mm-hmm. you know, again, this is an airport. Just go on about your business, you know, but I feel like, you know, like that's, but that's the, that's the, we get with each other that across the aisle from you, that if somebody makes a stand for even a small, minute part of their religion and they say, look, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm saying this is how I follow my faith to the best of my ability. Your gut reaction should not be to that is screw you. Yeah. And if it is, it's probably your conviction working against their conviction. Exactly. So the problem's probably, if we're being transparent and honest with ourselves, because I've had those, those areas in my life too where I've reacted like that and looking back, I was wrong. And I lashed out because I knew I was wrong. Right. Didn't want to face it. Right. And, and even so much so, like, so we talked a little bit and he even tried to turn around and apologize for <laughs> telling me that he was going to be unfriending me. Like, well, he's like, well, you know, I was new to Facebook at the time and, you know, I, I probably overreacted to him. Like, no, absolutely not. You did nothing wrong. It was, it was me. And that's why I reached out because it was my conviction. Mm-hmm. Like I was in the wrong on that one and it was weighing on my heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I guess the whole point of bringing that up is I don't think we're meant to be meek mouses. I think we're meant to be the people that stand up and say, no. Yes. And I, I want to mention too, I think a lot of it is a misunderstanding on what the term meek means. I think we see that word and we think that like what you described, just a, you know, a doormat. But it's really, if I remember correctly, it has to do with bridling, right? As in mm-hmm. a horse. Mm-hmm. And it, it it doesn't so much mean that you're just, you let people walk on you. It, it It's more speaking about controlled strength, properly focused strength. Mm-hmm. Not lashing out in every direction, but being calm and steady until your strength needs to be, needs to be focused in a particular dr- direction. Right. And then moving your strength in that direction exactly as far as you need to and no further, mm-hmm. right? That's what meekness really is biblically when we look at it. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a doormat. It's, it's standing up for your faith in a properly bridled way. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And which is what he was doing. Hey, and, 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 and that's kind of what I'm, that's kind of what, again, poetically, you <laughs> summed up. And, and, and said basically what I'm trying to say in a lot better way. Like it's no, I didn't say it, it better. I just wanted to highlight right. what meek, what, yeah, it, what meek really means. And it, 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 it supports what you're saying. Right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, you know, let, let people roll over you and you make compromises to fit what, you know, test everything, follow everything, right. Learn everything that you can. 
I mean, if if it comes that we had kind of had this conversation right before the 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 show, if it came down to, you know, look, you followed everything that I commanded, but yet you still used cuss words, you're out. Mm-hmm. Isn't it worth at least trying to look into, right? Study out and at least trying to follow the best that you can. You're gonna stumble. Everybody does, but. Do you think it's not worth pursuing? Right. So. That really fits quite nicely with what I wanted to talk about in this this top half of our episode this week. I really wanted to focus on, like, how we treat people. How we're, as, you know, we talk about on Broken Record Ministries podcast this week, how we're present for people and what way we're present. Mm -hmm. And if you really can't get enough of the soothing sound of my voice. When this podcast is over, head over and listen to that one. That's good stuff. It's good I'm stuff. I'm going to tell you. How we love one another. You know, how we how we present that. And that's action-oriented love, by the way, biblically speaking. It's not some emotion or some feeling. It's action-oriented, which, by the way, is a work. It's a work. Mm-hmm. A work that we're commanded to engage in. This all grace, no works mentality that we get from the commentary of Galatians by Martin Luther is just not biblical. We are required to engage in biblical works. Right. And love is one. And it all comes down to the seeds we plant. Right. Mm-hmm. So this really hit me. It really hit home for me the other day. Steph and I were at Walmart. And I've talked before. I think it's in episodes that are no longer available uh, when we were still Restoration Roundtable. But I did that youth camp last summer. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You talking about that? Yeah. And there was this girl there. I remember her name was Zoe. And man, she did not want to be there. You could tell she was not there because she chose to be there. Right. She was there because she was sent there and she hated it. And I mean, I thought she hated me and I'm pretty sure the first few days she did. Right. Right. I think she hated all of us. You know what I mean? I don't think she hated us. I just think she hated the situation. Right. Right. She was there. She was sent there to get it crammed down her throat. And you were the ones that were supposedly going to be cramming it down her throat. Yes. And I, you know, I was teaching a class every day. So yeah, I was, right. I was one of the ones that was force feeding her stuff. She did not want to hear, mm-hmm. but by the end of the youth camp, she, she's one of two girls that chose to get baptized and she would have been awesome. the last one I would have thought. Right. But even after that, you could tell that, that she was struggling. You know what I mean? It's not like baptism is not some, some pagan magic wand waved over you and it's a quick fix and everything, everything's perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a commitment you make. It's a it's a it's a sign that you go through. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But it's not it's not in and of itself the transformation. Right. The transformation comes after. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I remember talking to the guy that was uh that was doing the youth camp with me and he was like, you know, I'm a little I'm a little concerned that they're getting baptized for the wrong reason, that they think it's gonna fix all their problems. Right. So I wanna I wanna put them through some counseling afterward to kind of explain what it really means. You know what I mean? And and what this means for them moving forward. And that it is going to be a process and and it doesn't equate to an easy, perfect life. Mm-hmm. So he had the same kind of concern that I did. Right. Long story short. But youth camp ended. That was like the second to last day. I hadn't seen her since. That was months ago. And I'm walking through Walmart and just happened to walk by when when her and her brother are walking in and just cross paths. Right. And I didn't even really register at first who it was. And she sees me first and she just, Steph told me later because she saw it and she was like, she looked so down. And as soon as she saw you, she was like, her face just lit up. 
like a light bulb went off. Big small smile comes over. Remember me by name. She's like, hey, Carl, it's Carl. Look, it's Carl. Comes up and greets. Like I say, I probably came off like a clown because like at first I'm like, who, who is this? Who are you? Yeah. Right. Because I, I never saw you smile. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Long story short, it was just seeing that. I think God let me see the other end of the transformation that she went through because this was a different girl, man. Mm-hmm. It was a completely different girl. And he allowed me to take some small part in planting that seed that led her there. God did the work. I'm not taking credit. Don't get me wrong. But he allowed me to be there on the beginning part of it, you know, to see where she was before Mm -hmm. and then be there through that beginning part of the process and then see the other end of it. And man, it was beautiful. It was just so awesome to see how he works in somebody's life like that. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking about how important it is to plant those seeds. Right. like I was allowed to do and how important it is to plant the right seeds in the right way. Mm-hmm. Right. There was an experiment. I'm going to, I'm going to cite this experiment. It's kind of an oddball thing, okay. but it's very fascinating and it, it pl- plays into this topic. And then I'm going to read Psalm 86 and we're going to discuss that for a second before we, we hit the end of our, our segment here. But this Israeli scientist had an experiment with plants. Okay. And he, he had three groups, three control groups of, of newly planted seeds. Right. And in one control group, he spoke nice things to, like literally spoke to them for, for certain segments of every day and just said nice stuff to them. The second control group, he spoke. I, Kurt, go ahead. I, like, I can imagine, was it like, like spoke like. Talking to Oh, them. like. Like talking your, to the plants. Your, your stem is. So green today. Yeah. Your leaves are so beautiful. Yeah. Like you have such great growth. Yeah. You're, you're a pretty you're, little plant. Yeah, you're okay. Okay. Very Just, awkward stuff, right. I'm sure. I would right. I'm sure he did it by himself. I gotta get past that so I'm so I don't mess you up by <laughs> me smiling. Go ahead. No, I'm sure it was weird. I'm sure it was very um, uncomfortable. But he did this. In the second control group, he spoke curses to. Didn't matter what curses. Biblical curses, you know, just mean words, cuss words, didn't matter. Just spoke curses to them. And the third control group, he did nothing but read the Psalms to, the biblical Psalms. The first control group that he spoke nice things to grew normally, right? The second control group that he spoke curses to, they all died. Every single one died. And the third control group that he spoke Psalms to grew five times their normal size. Hmm. That was the power of speaking words to them, right? Right. The seeds he was planting in the seeds that he planted. Does that make sense? Right. Kind of weird, huh? Yeah. Planted seeds in the seeds. Seeds and it's like an it's like a seed inception. (laughs) (laughs) Seeds matter. It kind of ties into what we talked about a couple weeks ago, or maybe three weeks ago, that the words have impact and power. And like I say, I'm not saying that is there's some like metaphysical like magic spell here. That don't miss don't mistake what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is when the Bible tells us to speak life to one another, it's a very literal thing, right? The way we love one another, the way we talk to one another, the way we treat one another, it has impact. Yeah. It has very deep impact, and it matters. But the specific words we're speaking matter too. The message matters also. And that's where I, I come to. I'm going to read this section of Psalm 86 real quick. i got to pull it up. And then I want to ask you a question. Hmm. Awesome. I don't know if it's loaded as yours, but we'll see. I, I I say loaded because I know 
I know you well enough to know what your answers would but would be. So it's kind of like a lead discussion. Like, <laughs> I'm going to bring this up because he agrees with me. That's not why I brought it up. I don't want it up, to be but, too uncomfortable. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, actually, I'm actually just going to read verses 14 and 15 for the sake of time. But I, I encourage you to read this entire Psalm, Psalm 86. It's beautiful. But in verse 14, it says, Oh, God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant, and love and truth. Love there can be translated as mercy, but for it can also be translated as love, so that's what we're going to go with. So, And that's a concept that's repeated several times in the gospel letters, right? right? Love and truth, or grace and truth. So what does that mean to you, grace or love and truth? Well, I think a lot of people admit the truth because they think that's love and that that's what that's going to get them the the outcome that they desire mm-hmm. but if they truly loved what they were what they were doing they would speak the truth right which i think is which is why i think is important the concept of you know if these young children are at your youth camp in that example I think he was right on with saying, are they getting baptized for the wrong reasons? I think we should explain to them that it's not a one and done thing that it's right. A, it's, it's work. It's actionable love. So that, so walking out the truth is showing actionable love. Mm-hmm. And what is the truth? The truth in the gospel. In this context. Yeah. When, when the psalmist says love and truth, what truth is he talking about? that you can't just go about doing whatever you want, that there's certain requirements that go along with the love. Mm -hmm. The word of God, right? Yeah. Yeah, his expectations, his requirements. Mm -hmm. So our love needs to be fully mixed with his truth, his complete, unadulterated, unabridged, uncompromising truth. Would you agree with that? Yep. And that's where we come to the problem. I think we have... A, a vast man. We've talked about this before, and I know it. It feels like I might be beating a dead horse, but I think it matters a lot. I think we have a vast majority of believers who fall on one of two sides of the road. They're in the all love all the time camp, where they compromise on the truth so that they don't appear unloving, or they're so idolizing of the law that they've lost their love and totally miss the fact that without love they can't be lawful. Without love, you're lawless, right? Mm-hmm. Love is part of his character. And if you reject one of the most important aspects of his character, you've rejected him. You've rejected the word. You've rejected the law. Right. They don't see that. They just beat each other down. Right. I want to say, I want to I want to get this right too. You said that in in that Psalm, the word love can also be, Mercy? Mercy, yes. Kassed, mm. I believe, is... Mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. Right? Mm-hmm. That if sometimes the truths are hard and you stumble, you have the mercy, you have the love. Exactly. But they go hand in hand. One, one begets the other and the other begets the other. So in other words, if you were truly lawful, you'd be merciful to those who maybe don't see things exactly the way you see them. That's, like, not, that's not what I see from the, from the majority. I think we have a majority of people in these ditches that are either compromising 
outside of the truth or compromising outside of love and mercy. And very few who recognize the importance of that narrow way in the middle. Mm-hmm. That we have to strike that balance where mm-hmm. we don't compromise either. We don't compromise our love, but we also don't compromise our obedience and his expectations. It's possible to have both, mm-hmm. right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something that's going to seem weird to some people maybe. And I'm not a dream guy. I was sharing with Chris before, before we hit record. This isn't something that's, this is sort of new to me. But recently he's given me a couple dreams. I haven't shared many of them. Mm-hmm. I've shared one on the Broken Record Ministries podcast because I felt led to at the time. I've shared one here, but it's in an episode that I don't think is currently available. It was an old episode. Because mm-hmm. I felt led to. And I'll be honest, I would have just kept this one to the cuff if he hadn't given me a couple very specific confirmations on this. I just wanted, I just want to say, you know, if this isn't your bag, maybe just pretend this is my audio diary and get some inter- entertainment out of it. I don't know, but right. I'm sharing this because I think it's important. And I don't think it was just for me. Okay. So I'm going to share this dream that I had. Go before ahead. You, first. Before you go first, I think that's to where, again, we need to show mercy or, you know, love to somebody that if somebody's saying to you, Hey, this song spoke to me or this mm-hmm. art piece of artwork spoke to me for this reasons, you can't just roll your eyes at that person and go, right. Yeah. This, this guy, you know, listen to what they have to say, walk it out with them. Right. Talk about with it. Yeah. And you'll go ahead. Go Now you go ahead. Now you'll never hear me say, you know, b- believe what I say. Cause I got this, thus saith the Lord message and right. you know, a, test everything, and B, I'm not saying that, say the Lord. I'm just sharing what what was laid on me and what I think it means for us. Mm-hmm. This isn't a, I'm a prophet, thus saith the Lord. No. Right. It's, it's not what this is. So don't, don't misunderstand my intent in sharing this. Mm-hmm. And also, before I share this, understand, I don't, I don't have violent dreams. Like this, this is, you'll understand in a second, this isn't the sort of stuff I typically dream, like at all. I don't right. dream much anyway. Honestly, I rarely ever remember it at all. But I remembered this. And so I'm just going to share it. So normally, when on the rare occasions when I do dream, it's like most people, you're you're an active role in it, Mm -hmm. right? You're you're typically dreaming about yourself. Right. But this was different. It was weird. It was almost like I was watching events unfold, almost like it was a movie, right? Like I was a a third-party observer Mm -hmm. to it, and I was just seeing it. And I was almost like seeing it from above. And I was, I was watching cars driving on a blacktop, okay? Mm-hmm. And they were all following the rules. And then this guy in a motorcycle comes along, speeding, and he's weaving in and out of the cars, going in the wrong side of the road, cutting people off, weaving in and out. And most people are just tolerating it. They're not really reacting to him. He's breaking rules is what he's doing. He's coming along and he's breaking all these rules and he's inconveniencing people until he does it to the person that was in the front and he cuts that person off right Mm -hmm. and it infuriates them i could almost feel their anger even as a third party observer right Mm -hmm. right so that driver me i hope not you'll understand (laughs) okay no i was just saying that's i i have issues with that kind of stuff too but yeah go ahead (laughs) it's tough sorry to interrupt no you're very a very serious sorry no 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 make it as light as possible so this this driver in the car starts chasing this person on the motorcycle. 
And the grand irony mm-hmm. is that they're mad that they're breaking these rules, but then they break the rules to chase them down. Mm-hmm. Was sort of the irony that I that I noticed in the dream. And then the person in the motorcycle goes off the road across, you know, grass and a field and stuff, and the person in the car follows them. And the person on the motorcycle stops right before they get to a cliff. And then they get off, and they're like looking over the edge of the cliff, and the person in the car stops behind them and gets out, enraged. And this person on the motorcycle is totally oblivious to this person coming up to him. And then the person from the car gets to the one that was on the motorcycle that enraged them for breaking all these rules, pulls a Bowie knife out, stabs him repeatedly in the back and cuts their throat, and that's when I wake up. Again, I just want to share, that's not the sort of stuff I typically dream. It shook me up, right? Because I woke up that morning. That's that's what I dreamt that morning. And it really shook me up. And I'll be honest, I would have just written it off as a bad taco or something. You know what I mean? I had bad Mexican last night. Yeah. So I had a rough dream. Undercooked potato or something, yeah. But something didn't set right with me. and just, I don't know. It felt like there was more to it. So I prayed. I always try to inquire of God in all things. You know, and I'm like, you know, if this is just a dream or, you know, something that's not from you, just either let me know or just don't answer this prayer or something. But if it is, I need some sort of confirmation, right? So I sit down and I felt pressed to open my Bible. And I open, and it opens straight to Judges chapter 11. I'm not going to read that entire account, but it's the story of a judge named Jephthah. And he was the son of a righteous judge named Gilead from the tribe of Gilead. And Gilead had, this judge Gilead, had many sons. Jephthah was one. Mm -hmm. And Jephthah had, I believe it was 70 brothers. But Jephthah was the son of a prostitute. So after Gilead, his father died, they, I, I believe in the account, they allowed him to raise his children, but then so that a son of a prostitute wouldn't receive land inheritance that was owed him, the people conspired against Jephthah to wrong him, and they forced him out of his inheritance, out of his land, and forced him into exile. And Jephthah was furious at what they had done right? Mm -hmm. He was furious that they had wronged him, that they had disobeyed the rules and they had wronged him for something that was not his fault. So he allowed that fury to grow and he surrounded himself with bandits. He formed a small army of bandits is what he did. And then later he comes back and he rabble rouses the elders of Gilead and shows how strong he is. And you know what I mean? How, how skilled he is at war and gets them to follow him. And the goal of this for his revenge for having been wronged was to lure all of his 70 brothers to a place so that he could cut them all down. He literally cut them to pieces. He stabbed them all to death on a single rock, it says, except one brother who escaped. So to right the wrong that was committed against him, he perpetrated an even more egregious wrong by literally stabbing them to death. Like I saw. Mm -hmm. Like, this is weirdly on the nose, but this isn't Really enough, maybe that was just coincidence, right? Throw out another fleece. Give me a confirmation again. Right. I probably inquire too much with the fleeces. <laughs> I probably yeah. test his patience a little bit. And this was You've the, not spoken to me enough. Speak to me some more. Right. <laughs> this was the confirmation that blew me away that really told me I needed to share this because I think there's a lesson for us in it. A friend of my the, the it's actually the guy, if you listen to our first episode of that Philly Faith podcast, the uh, re- reformed, reforged, and reborn, I think is what it's Mm -hmm. called. I shared uh, my story about going to Philadelphia on a mission trip to Kensington. The guy that I went there with, Will, he messaged me out of the blue. 
I hadn't, I haven't talked to him in weeks probably. And he messaged me and he shared with me that this is the same day, right? He shared with me that he had a dream that morning, the same time that I was having the dream that I had, the same time. And he's like, I don't know what it was. He's like, I don't even know if I should, you know, because he, he kind of shared about it on Facebook a little bit. And he's like, I don't know if I should share this or not, but I don't know if this was a dream or a vision or what. <laughs> he's like, I'm, he was shaking up too. And he was like, all I saw was I saw Jesus, but I only saw him from behind. He was turned away from me. And he's like, his back was sliced to pieces from the scourging. Mm -hmm. So in the same place, remember in my dream, I saw this person get stabbed repeatedly in the back. He, at the same time, is having a dream of Jesus turned away with all these wounds that ripped his back to pieces. And I kid you not, when he said this to me, the words that flashed into my mind out of nowhere were from Jesus when he said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done also unto me. And that was when the connection hit. The way we love one another or don't love one another, we're doing it to him. Right? Right. Instead of sharing the truth in love, we're cutting each other to pieces. Right. Or we're disobeying in the name of love and leading people to a pit or to a cliff. Just letting them drive right off. Neither, neither way is good. Right? The message matters, but the way we share it, the way we express that matter, that message, it matters just as much. The truth without love will never convince anybody. It won't. Mm. Or should it? Right? Right. Most convincing message you're ever going to speak is love. But love has to be defined somehow. Right? If, mm -hmm. you, if you just share love without a defining principle that leads to God, what good is it? Right? right, or if you share truth in a way that's so callous and cruel that it leads people to turn away, what good was your truth? Exactly. It's you know, repentance needs to be shared, but it's got to be shared in the right way. The way we witness matters. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And alternatively, love is not an excuse to silence that message. I see that so often. Somebody will share that message of repentance and love, and then the the law haters, the heads of the churches will say, you're being divisive. You need to sit down and shut up because that's not very loving. Well, <laughs> it's the truth though. Right. Right. And if it's being shared in love, how's it divisive? Is it pushing people away that hate God? Mm -hmm. Should they be there? Why are they in church? Right? Yeah. That's if they, they hate him so much, why are they there? Right. And I hate to break it to you. If you hate the ways of God, you hate him. You it's a package deal. Right. You cannot love God while hating the things of God. Nope. I shared recently, and I stand by this. Law without love is dead. But love without law is misled. We've got to strike in the middle. Love and truth. All love, all truth. From Eden to Sinai to Canaan to Cavalry. No subtractions, no additions. We have to get to that place. Even if it leads you to not being very popular, it doesn't matter. Right. Right. We need to speak the truth. I want, before we close out the top of the episode and head to our break, I want to read 1 Corinthians 13. And I know anytime you talk about love, 1 Corinthians 13 is always brought up to the point of it being borderline cliche. Mm -hmm. 
but I don't care. I want to read it anyway. And there's a reason because I want to share something that I think is important to identify about this. So I'm just going to read this real quick. And by the way, I'm reading from the New King James Version this week. But it says this, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love, this is the important part that I want to focus on. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And stop there. We so often read that and we apply that to ourselves, right? Because mm-hmm. this should be the goal. It's what we're striving to. But we reflexively say this is... This is what we should do, and it is. It's about us, and if we're falling short, we need to do better. I think the deeper implication here, though, is this love chapter is less describing us, and it's more describing him. This is describing God's love for us to emulate. Right. And I think it's very important that we recognize that rather than seeing ourselves in it too much. We need to see him in this. This is how he approaches us. Not the other way around. Right. He just teaches us how to approach him this way. This is the sort of love that we can only get through being transformed by him. You can't love like God until God makes you more like him. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. This is him in this chapter. And we need to surrender ourselves so we can become more like that every single day. Or we're like a clanging cymbal, cutting each other to pieces for no gain. Do you have anything to add before we head to our break? Got some more for our open discussion, but right. as far as we'll we'll wrap that up there. Okay, sounds good. And that's going to close us out on the top of the episode. There'll be more on the other side. This week, our featured song should sound familiar to those of you who listen consistently. It's actually our outro music, but I'm going to play it this week, unpolluted by our voices, because it's such a great song. It is a great song. It is. It's called River of Life by Stephen Salfelder. Catch you on the other side. I was standing next to the river called the River of Life When a man standing next to me said, jump on in, boy, it'll be all right. I wandered in up to my knees when the spirit of God fell upon me and told me what to see. So I started singing, singing.
So I wandered in just a little deeper Much to my surprise Some seen for yes in the fall Fall from my eyes Seen the glory of God Like I never did before Covered by my We are back. Again, that was River of Life by Stephen Salfelder. I hope you enjoyed. And I'm excited to say that for the bottom half of our episode this week, my good friend Pastor Mike is joining us from Heritage Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us, man. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Yep, absolutely. Been kind of, uh, just kick it right off. It's been kind of a rough couple of weeks, hasn't it? It really has. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of hurts and pains. And of course, you know, we lost a dear dear member of our of our congregation and and a friend and a friend yes a man that you know did a lot testimony proved that he loved the lord and um left a left a big hole we know he's in a better place but left a big left a big hole for us so but it seems like there's a lot not just with that it seems like just in general there's a lot of hurt and pain and 
suffering with with lots of people. Uh, another another friend of ours, he's traveling Thursday when snow's supposed to come, but he's traveling Thursday to Memphis for a funeral and mm-hmm. so for a family member. And so it just seems like there's just been a lot of a lot of a lot of heartache. And we've had, of course, the warmer weather's been 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 beneficial and enjoyable. However, it's our our utility company Amron has cut a lot of people off during the warmer weather, and so now it's going to get cold again. And so we've had a lot of calls of people having some financial hardships with with utility bills, and it just seems like there's just been several several things over and over and over again. And so it feels like something's ramping up, doesn't it? It I mean, really there's does. Always yeah. loss. It's a rough world we live in, and there's right. always loss and there's always hardship. But it just I don't know. We've talked about that recently. It just feels like there's more of it at a higher rate. I think so. Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the remnant. I know you guys have talked about that on several other episodes of your podcast about the remnant. And I think, I think that's where we are, you know, we're weeding out the faithful and the ones that are going to, I, I believe, and maybe I've said this before when I've been a guest, but I believe at least once in everybody's life, there's a crossroads. Mm-hmm. And it's at that crossroads that we either draw close to God or we pull away from him. And and it something it's it's tragic for them. Maybe not tragic for us. We may look back and go, well, that's not such a big issue in life, but to them it is. Right. And so and so that that crossroads for them happens at different periods of life. And sometimes it happens more often in life. But I think at mm-hmm. least once we're gonna hit that hit that crossroads. And I think that's where you re- weed out that remnant, you know, where you kind of separate that wheat and tares and, and see who's who's going to be the faithful and who's going to be the ones that, well, their faith, you know, when the when their going gets tough, they get going. You know, they yeah. go they go somewhere else and their faith's not as not as strong in those in those periods. And so Absolutely. Yeah. Steph and I have been talking about the remnant quite a lot the past couple yeah. of weeks actually. And it's kind of funny you mentioned that because really that's Sort of, you weren't here for for the top half of the episode. That's sort of what we were talking about. We didn't mm-hmm. use that word, but talking about yeah. the two ditches and yeah. you know the love and truth. You either have have love, but you compromise on the truth, or yeah, you, you think you have the truth, but you're not loving. Yeah. Very few have all love, all truth in yes. the middle, like we're supposed to have. And yes. that that I believe is the remnant you're talking about. Yeah, the select few that choose to under, understand that. It, you know, it's, it's not that there's only a few that can understand it. I think there's only a few that want to. Yeah. I think that's the difference is the desire. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, to love like Jesus sounds good. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the big, you know, love like Jesus, you know, love him, you know, love him, right. love him to really understand what that looks like. That that means, you know, kind of like what you said the other night in our discussion, you know, that means that we got to put off some things, you know, we got to understand, we got to see them like God sees them. We can't look at their past and look at their past failures and we've got to mm-hmm. see them for who God sees them as a, as a child who needs to come into a relationship with him or as somebody who's searching and mm-hmm. we are to be the light in their life to draw them, draw them to them. We know the father draws I mean, we know the Father ultimately draws people to Himself, but He uses us as tools to do that as well. And yeah, that's why He tells us to be a light and to bear fruit and to show good works and to do good works. And you'll know them. You know, faith without works is is dead. Mentality. You know that that phrase hits home a lot. You know, we are to show Christ and display display Him in our in our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. It's funny you mention. It's funny you mentioned being the light that they can find. So. Before you came here, Carl shared a uh, a uh, an experiment 
that um, was done by a scientist and it was about speaking words to plants and how the kinder words, the plants grew better. But when he started introducing that experiment, I thought you were going to talk about where people have put plants in different containers before Mm -hmm. and they've are, are at the bottom of different like mazes. And as long as a light was shining through the top of the maze, the plant grew through the maze to the light. As really? long, even even if as intricate as the maze was, if there was a light at the top, it, it, was would, found gr- a light. it would grow through the maze. It would grow through the path to the light <laughs> as long as it was shining. Yeah. The ones that didn't shine a light, they just didn't grow at all. Yeah. That's so, powerful. So I think that I like the correlation here where, where as long as we're shining that light, that person will find a way to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a, a peace lily sitting up there in the in the lobby or the foyer or whatever people call it. But and my wife will rotate that plant because you know where it you know where it sits. It sits right there by the door and the light shines in. Well it'll draw and it'll start to lean. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so she'll rotate it, you know, we'll water it and she'll she'll rotate that plant so that the backside that's it's leaning towards that way will lean back up and kind of sit sit back up. But it, it does do that. It draws to the light. And um, that's that's what we are to do. Mm-hmm. We are to radiate his light. We are to be his light. And so it'll... Did you, did you say it's a peace lily? It is a peace lily, how, yes. How poetic is that? That the, the peace lily is... Yes. ...is growing towards the light. Yep. And I think that draws to the heart of what you're talking about. You know, he does the drawing, but he also allows us to yes. hold the lamp, yes. right? He's the light. Yes. You know, we don't we, we don't radiate light of our own. All we can do is reflect it. Yes. But he allows us the privilege of holding it. Yep. You know, so so we're doing the work. We're putting our hand to the plow to draw people with the light he allows us to hold. He's doing the drawing. Yeah. But he does expect us to do the work. Does yes. he need that? No. But I think he allows it to give us purpose. Absolutely. Because he loves us. Yes. Right. And man, there's a lot of darkness in this world. There and is. I know it sounds weird because you don't think about people or or darkness being shown but there are people that are actively shining darkness yes and that's what makes holding his light out to people so important i think so you know there was and i'm not going to bring up names or anything but somebody that that we've we've tried to help recently finally get up on their feet finally get to a point where they can you know get some income and and get bills paid and things like that like i say not not making names but it's applicable and it's it's so frustrating and it, it highlights what we're up against. Their, their rent is due the 22nd. They get paid their first paycheck or the job they finally got the 28th. And their landlord was going to kick them, kick them out over a six-day difference. Mm. Over a six-day wait, they were going to kick them out. Yeah. And that's the that's the sort of ugliness that we're we're facing in the world today. Yeah. And I just it's frustrating. I can't wrap my mind around it. I don't know why people treat each other the way they do, but that's why it's so important for us to shine a light for people that are beaten down by that sort of darkness. Yeah, because they need it. And I and I think you know, I and mean, this is not a prophecy episode by any means, because that's that would take a long time to dive into. But I oh, think that might be next week. Maybe, so yeah, but, next week. But I think you know when we when we look at scripture and what it says about the end. The devil knows that his doom is sure. Yes. He knows that he is not going to win in the end. But he is the prince of the power of the air, and he is the ruler of this of this age at the moment. 
And I, I think he's trying to lead as many people as he can astray because he knows his his end is is coming. It's almost like it's spite. Yeah. He knows this. He's not, like you said, he's not going to win. Yes. He's smart enough to know that, but I think he just wants to hurt God as much yes. as he possibly can. Absolutely. Which should tell you how much God loves us. Yeah. If if leading us astray hurts God, what does that tell you about God's feeling toward us? Yeah. He so mm-hmm. desperately desires us to turn our hearts back to him. So yeah. desperately. That's why I brought up the other day Ezekiel 33, because I think it's powerful. Yeah. When you see that exchange, now I'm not reading it, I'm just paraphrasing it, but it's in the 33rd chapter of Ezekiel, and it's this, it's this exchange between the people of Israel and God. And the people of Israel are said to say, or, or, or they're presented as saying, my sin is, is, is too much, I've done too much, the weight of my iniquity is heavy upon me and I cannot escape it, there's nothing I can do. And God's response is, all you have to do is turn to me. Yes. Paraphrasing, all you have to yep. do is turn to me and I will lift the weight off you. Yep. I don't desire anyone to perish, even the wicked. Yep. Not even you. Exactly. I just, I just want you to turn your eyes to me. Yep. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. I saw you know, a saying recently, and there's, there's so much truth to it. And I know we could nitpick it, but objectively, maybe it's not true, but spiritually, there's truth in it. No matter how many steps you take away from God, the return trip's always one. Yeah. It's always one. You pivot 180 and take that one step back to him, and he'll do a lot of the legwork to get you back. He may expect you to walk with him back home. He will expect you to walk with him back home, I should say. But once you show that that initial commitment to returning to him, he runs to you. And we need to remember that. And we need to share that with others. Yeah, we gotta I mean we gotta take that step. He says he stands at the door and knocks. Doesn't kick the door in. Right. He's not pushing it open. He's waiting for us to answer to him. Mm-hmm. And when we make that move, he's there. He's, he's right there waiting for us, but he's waiting for us to, to open, that, open that door. That's what hope is. I know that you know, I was talking not to put him, okay, I guess you can't, can you put somebody on the spot when they're not here? <laughs> if he listens yeah. to it later, will he feel put on the spot? Ronnie, that's who I'm talking about. Right. Well, I was talking yeah. about topics for Broken Record podcasts with him, and he was, he was kind of, you know, torn because there's things that's laid on his heart to talk about, but he feels like he's not focusing enough on hope. And I'm like, brother, if everything was sunshine and lollipops all the time, hope wouldn't be hope. Yeah, Hope is hope because we are struggling right now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Hope is so powerful because we need something to hope through yes. and hope for. And sometimes people seeing that we're struggling in the same way as them, that gives them hope. Yes. Especially when we couple that with the knowledge that Jesus can carry you through it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. No matter what you're going through, he can carry you through it. It's going to be hard. I'm not going to promise it's easy. Yeah. You know what we what we talk Bob Bob passing that hit me hard, man. Yeah. Now and that's 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 proof to me you don't have to know somebody long yeah. to fall in love with them. Yeah. You know what I mean. Absolutely. Friendship isn't based upon longevity. Yes. That that was one of the hardest funerals I've ever gone through. Yeah. I'll be I'll be honest, but I know where he is. And Amen. I know it was for the best. Amen. It's almost one of those things, you know, I prayed hard that day when yeah. he was sick. You know, for those of you listening, not to give too much away, he was he was deteriorating from brain cancer. It's not a secret. But he ended up passing from a, a blood clot in the lung yeah. fairly quickly, comparatively speaking. Yes. And we were all praying, and I know I was praying, fasting, and <laughs> hoping that he'd be healed. But I also know in my heart that Bob was praying the opposite. Yeah. I think Bob just wanted to go home. And God chose to ignore our prayers, our selfish prayers for healing to keep Bob here, yeah. and heard his, and brought him home. 
And I think there's hope in that. It's hard and it hurts, but there's hope in that. I think the reality is he was healed. I 100%. And so, you know, that's, that's the perceptive, perceptive perception, I guess, is how you would (laughs) refer it. Yeah. I kind of, you kind of spit it out kind of like, you know, the, the Finding Nemo upside down and an immunity. Exactly. Spit that thing out. But, you know, in our, in our minds, our healing, our mindset is coming out of the hospital, the blood clot dissolves, they get it under control. And, and we, get more, back time back we, we get, we get yeah. more time with that, but that's, you know, that's selfish for us. And, and God has, God has different plans. And obviously he did in this, yeah. in this case, because he decided that he wanted to, he wanted to go home and, Bob was homesick. You know, I referred to that when I, there's a, there's a song, um, by mercy me called homesick. And, and I referred to that song, um, during my, during the funeral and he was homesick for heaven. He was ready Mm -hmm. to, he knew he was going, he knew he wasn't scared. He wasn't hesitant. He knew. And I think that's confidence. And that's the hope you're talking about for us today. You know, are we that secure in in know in our relationship with Christ to know that we're going to work hard. You know, Paul said, oh, so I'm going to get preachy. Sorry. No, you know, Paul said, here, brother. Paul said, you know, I'm, I'm in this, I'm in this weird state. You know, he didn't say weird, but he, he said, I'm, I'm in this state where, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which is far better. But there's so many people that need to hear about yeah. Christ. And there's so many people. And so I'm torn. I'm in this, I'm in this state. And I think that's where we need to be, especially during these times that we've been talking about. We need to be in that state where yes, to be present with the Lord is, is far better. And we are homesick for heaven, but we also realize there's a lot of work to do. I mean, he's given us a task and, and he needs willing workers. He does, you know, the verse that, and I know we can unpack that. There's lots of truth behind that but you know the labors are few mm-hmm. you know the harvest is plenty but the labors labors are few yeah i think that's true now mm-hmm. yeah i think it's always been true but i think it's maybe more true now than it's ever been yep. and i think that's you know like you said this isn't the prophecy episode maybe we'll talk <laughs> about it next week but i think i think it might have something to do with our our nearness yeah to that point yep. of where we're at I think the closer we get to the end, the more what we talked about at the top of the episode, the more you see compromise. Yeah. Mm. You know, and I think the compromise is going to get deeper and it's going to get more set in and it's going to get more difficult to strike through the heart of it, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. You got anything? Yeah. yeah so, no, no, that, uh, I was waiting for a, for a, for a chance. Um, <laughs> no, not, let me, let me rephrase that. I was waiting for, <laughs> An opportunity. I no, do. I do again, tend to take over. Again, you know. No. How do I want to word this? I was waiting for an injuncture to put this in. That's really good. That's <laughs> a really a, good way to not a, it. Not a. Not like. Yeah. So. Big word. Yeah. 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 Proud of that yeah. one. You might win the episode for. Yeah. So. Um, so again, like you guys have said, this isn't a, a, a episode for for prophesying, but I can't help but think, you know, like Micah said that. You know, the devil knows his time is coming. He's, he, you know, his his time stamp is punched. He knows his end, and he's fighting hard. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of that, God's fighting just as hard. Yeah, 
He he'll fight twice as you say. He's knocking on the door, brother. He's banging on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So things that, and, and this is this is kind of what my point was, things that we normally wouldn't pay attention to, or things that we would dismiss or not put value in. Those things are speaking to you for a reason. Mm-hmm. There, he's using things that might not have always been used before, but that's because we're. I think we're getting to the point where he's pulling out the last stops. Yeah, I think time is short. He's using the last of the weapons, the weapons in his, uh, he's, well, I would say Satan's using the last of his weapons in his inventory, but God's using the last of his armor for us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm glad the you strongest stuff that he's got. That's what he's given us now. Yeah. I'm glad you said that a friend of mine and I just talked to in fact it's it's not interesting it's, it's a god thing probably I just talked to him today I hadn't talked to him in years but he called me earlier today I was busy and I just returned the phone call a few minutes ago and we were we were talking and he he says I think sometimes we give the devil too much credit you know we always say the devil made me do it or the devil you know everything bad thing but the Bible says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And you're absolutely right. You know, God, God is, God is working through us just as powerful as, as Satan is at work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Satan's pulling on us. And I think that's where Paul says in Galatians, there's this constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. They war against each other. You know, they're not, they're not friends. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the, the flesh and the spirit are not friends. They, they war, they battle against each other. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. And, I think that's important to recognize too. We do give him too much credit. We we elevate him and magnify him a bit too much. You know, that's one thing we learned from the book of Job is that he's as much as he's at war with God, he's afraid to step yes. out of line too far. Yes. He does obey certain rules. Yes, absolutely. We see evidence of that mm-hmm. in the way in the way that whole exchange yeah. takes place at the beginning of the book of Job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, when yeah. when Satan's brought into the presence and he gives him certain rules. You can go yeah. this far. But don't you dare go any further. Absolutely. And Satan complies with that out of fear, I would argue. Absolutely. And I, you know, if that's applicable to Job, that's applicable to us. If yes. he's allowed to accuse or attack us, it's, and it's actually something that, that ties into what I want to talk about here in a second. I think he has to comply with certain rules. Sure he does. But God allows it for our good. It may not seem like it at the time, but there's a, mm-hmm. there's a refining in it. Yes. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, training a training purpose to mm-hmm. it where, you know, if if you you know, it's to me it's almost like war games. Like if you want somebody to to train up and be a proficient leader or, you know, soldier, you're gonna present them with situations that that are gonna test them. Yeah, exactly. We realize God is eternal and Satan is a created being. Yes. We forget that sometimes. I think we do. So absolutely, he follows rules. He has to. He has no choice. Yeah. Sometimes I mean, he's, a, the, he's a creative being, so. Yeah. Sometimes the way Christians approach Satan, they almost they almost adopt a dualist yep. approach, which is not biblical. There's nothing Christian about that. Dualism being that there are, are two gods, one good and one evil, and they're equal, and they're they're in this tug of war, you know, for yeah, control. Yeah, and boy, I really stuff, hope the good yeah. God wins. That's that's yeah. not the situation we're in. Exactly. You know, it's it's Satan lost at the very start. Yeah. And there was never any ifs, ands, or buts. The, 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 fact, the fact that he got to a point of so much pride that he ever even thought that there was a potential of victory is, 
yeah. pretty stunning. But yeah, that's not the scope of this episode. <laughs> right. Right. Not that, but like I said, the, the Bible is not a dualist philosophy. I think mm. it's important to remember mm. that yes. God is God. He is Most High. Yes, and there is nobody that comes even remotely close to Him. Nobody. Mm-hmm. And that's the God we serve. Amen. We need to remember that. Absolutely. So there was something about the reason I bought, not the only reason, I, I, I wanted to mention that anyway for uh, respect, but you mentioned something to me about Bob's passing that he died on the Gregorian cal- calendar on exactly the 40th day of the year. Yes. And you even mentioned in that text, mate, because we've talked about it before, kind of mm-hmm. like you have a fascination with the, with the 40. Yeah. And I have in the past too, and I kind of forgot about it a little bit. We've talked about it in past episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I might re-release that. It was in the the King is in the Field episode. We might mm-hmm. re-release that episode as bonus content because I think that was good. But uh, when you sent that message to me, God had pressed me to to do a, about a week before that to restart and do again another 40-day prayer challenge, mm-hmm. which is what that King is in the Field episode is about. And I don't know why he pressed it, right? He pressed Steph and I both that we need to do this again because we need to, you know— there's something else he has for us. Don't know what, but for some reason he wants us to do this. So about a week before he sent that message, we've been doing this 40-day challenge. Then you send mm-hmm. that. I'm like, wow. Okay. There's something to that. Maybe I should look more into what this means. Because that was one of the things that you said, Michael, sure. was that, you know, yes. I don't know quite what to make of the 40, but there's something to yes. it. And I agree. And I think we get some clues if we did. And that's kind of what I want to talk about sure. to, uh, to close out our episode. Because I think it's super cool when you look at this, this what I would call the rule of 40. Because it's a principle we see repeated several times. Just out of curiosity, what do you make of it? And in your current understanding of how you've looked into it, what are your feelings about it? And it could be anything. Sure. Like it doesn't have. There's you're totally untethered. Sure. Like what are your what are your thoughts on the forty? It, it seems like almost in in most situations, the forty days is a t- trial of testing, mm-hmm. and then at the end, there's triumph. And so there's there's a period of, you know, you think of 40 days in the wilderness or 40 days of wandering, you know, 40 days of Noah and the flood of, of you know, rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And like you said, there's several, I mean, all throughout the scriptures, you see this 40 days or 40, you know, 40 days, 40 years, 40 months, you know, this, the period of 40, the period, the period of 40 comes, comes up, comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. And, it, and in most cases, not not every case, but in most cases, it's a period of, of testing. It's a period of trial. It's a period of, 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 of testing. And then at the end, there's a triumph. There's a, there's a success story, you know, yes. mm-hmm. at, at the end of that, you know, at the 40 days, you know, they have 40 days of wandering. They're now able to enter into the promised land, you know? And so, and so it seems like in, in my, and I haven't looked at it too in depth, but it seems like from my current study on that, that's that's the direction that that it seems to be. That seems to be the pattern anyway. I would agree. You know, God is a God of order. Yes. He's not a chaotic God. That's, you know, Satan is chaos. Yep. God is order and everything. We see numbers repeated all the time. You know, 12, 7, 40. We see these yep. numbers repeated. And I think that's that's testament to his ordering of things. Yes. We see it in the creation too. Yes. Right, we see it in in the laws of physics. We see it in the laws of gravity. We see it in in how our cells are are formulated in DNA, especially. Everything is very, very meticulously well ordered. And I believe he has a government. We see we see images of his government prophetically several times. We see it in, for example, Revelation with the Council of the Elders, and we see we see forms of this through Ezekiel. You know what I mean? He has a governing body. And when we think of governments, they're ordered, right? Taking our government, for example, we have one president, we have one vice president, 
whether we want them or not. We, <laughs> sorry, did I say that? We have a Senate with a set number of senators. We have a rep- House of Representatives with a set number of representatives. If they're doing what they're supposed to do, which they never do, they have certain rules they're supposed to follow. Our government doesn't do that because they're human, and humans are very flawed and don't always do the right thing. God is not, though. Yeah. There's nothing flawed about God. When God establishes rules, he follows them because those rules are based upon his character, right? So he's going right. to comply with his character always. I think that's what we're seeing here with these numbers. I think it's an expression of his governance over us, over creation, over each individual, mm-hmm. right? So I guess the question comes down to if 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 these numbers and this this order has to do with his governance, when we look at the rule of 40, this principle of the 40 days or 40 years, what aspect of our of our walk with him does that specifically govern? Right? Cuz that's that's what government does. It has different umbrellas to govern different aspects of what it governs. Sure. So what's the 40 over? And I would argue I don't know if I want to get ahead of myself because I want to look at a couple examples. We're not going to, we're kind of going to paraphrase, but I think we get a clue on, on, on what we see here. But I will point out before I get into it, it's very interesting. The, the, the Jewish sages have been pretty fascinated with this for a long time too, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And they've pointed out, and science has since verified this, that in the beginning stages of a baby in a womb, it takes almost exactly 40 days it's an average of 40 days. It can fluctuate between 37 and around 43, but it's usually 40. And a, a perfect gestation cycle, it's 40 days for the, I hate calling it, for the baby to take a human-like form and for the heart to start operating correctly. And then it moves on to, to brain patterns. So that first stage of a baby forming to get to that human-like form is exactly 40 days. And they posit, and I partially agree with them, that if it takes 40 days for a physical being to form, then it takes, God chooses to take 40 days to form a spiritual being. And they point to this 40-day principle as him forming a spiritual being in his likeness mm-hmm. for a purpose. And it kind of ties into what you're talking about. Some sort of, how did you word it? Uh, triumph at the end of it? Triumph at the end, yes. Mm-hmm. But you breathe weird, no, Chris. Sorry. I, had a thought. <clears throat> sorry. I got super excited. I thought you were going to say something. No, sorry. no, I'm I'm fascinated. Sorry. Oh, you have he me used, pumped up. Used one. He already no, used his one big word. So that's, he's, that's, he's glad. that's why I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm flash flirting. in the pan, man. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. All right. So like you said, there are lots of examples. One you mentioned was the, the flood of Noah. Um, that, to me, four of the most, I guess, impactful examples are obviously at the top of the list with Jesus, with Jesus would be Jesus being tempted. And which, as a side note, that occurred right after he was baptized. So, you know, to what we were talking about at the top of the the episode, anyone who thinks that baptism means that, oh man, it's going to be rainbows and lollipops now, everything's going to be great. Jesus went straight from being baptized to starving and dealing with Satan for 40 days (laughs) and being being accused by him and tempted by him. So baptism isn't like this this quick, easy fix that makes everything hunky-dory. You know, if, if if we're following the Jesus template, then after baptism, there's a good chance the accuser is going to come in and try to shipwreck us. Mm-hmm. And there's a good chance God, to test us, is going to allow it. If he allowed it with his own son, he's going to allow it with us, right? right? Mm-hmm. I would posit. Uh, and the other example, David and Goliath, we're mm-hmm. told that Goliath, he accused, very similar here, he stood at the front of the camp of the Israelites and accused them and threw accusations at them and the God of Israel, Yahweh. Yes, 
and and condemned the God of Israel for 40 days yep. until God drew David and had him kill Goliath at the end of the 40 days. So you have this 40-day period of Goliath accusing the camp and accusing God, and then God brings his champion to bring victory, yep. right, and kill Goliath. Then we have, uh, let's see here, Elijah. Elijah fleeing Jezebel. And what's amazing about this, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Sorry if I'm glossing over this a little too much, but I don't want to take too much time because it would, it would take a while to, to read through all these accounts. Yeah. I'll, give the, I'll give the scripture references. So, so first off, the, the temptation of Jesus is Matthew chapter 4. David and Goliath is 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this account of Elijah is 1 Kings chapter 19. So I, I encourage those of you listening to read those accounts because they're very powerful. But we have Elijah coming. This is right at the tail end of him confronting the priests of Baal and having this incredible victory on Mount Carmel. Is mm-hmm. that where they were at? Yes. Yeah. And and God rains fire down and he kills all the priests of Baal and it's, you know, a big party. Everything's great. The people, people by the wayside that were wavering, they believe in Yahweh now. All's good, right? All's right in the world. God did an amazing miracle. We had a revival. Everything's fantastic. And then Jezebel comes along, driven by the enemy, driven by Satan, and sends Elijah a personal death decree. Yeah. that she's going to kill him. And this isn't new. It's not like, you know, she hadn't been trying to kill him up to this point already. Right. right? But for some reason, this was just, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back for Elijah. And it just got to a point where he'd been dealing with this for so long, I think it was just too much. Yeah. And he even, I think he even uses that, those words when he he flees Jezebel sure. and he sits down under the terebinth tree, I believe. And he tells, he tells God, it's just too much. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. And God... Tells him to take a nap, <laughs> feeds him, and then he leads him into the wilderness for a 40-day, 40-night journey that led him back to Mount Sinai to have this personal encounter with Yahweh. And that's that famous account where he hears the still small voice. You know, the whirlwind comes, the earthquake comes, the fire comes. God says he's not in that, but then the still small voice where he has this, this very personal one-on-one talk with Elijah. He says, that's me. That's where I am. When I lower my voice to talk to you and be mindful of you, that's where I am. Mm. And again, we have, you know, the enemy coming at a person of God, leading them into this wilderness journey. And we have the breakthrough at the other end of how you put it, triumph. Yeah. I think breakthrough is a good word, too, where we have this yes. breakthrough at the end. Sure. For Elijah, I think it was, we'll round back, actually, because I think I want to focus on some specific. But then the other, the other example would be Moses on the mountain. Yeah. And we actually have three 40-day, 40-night examples with him on Mount Sinai. The first time is when we're told in Exodus chapter 24 that Moses goes up on the mountain the first time, and he receives the, the first set of commandments. What we're looking at, this is sort of the tie-in for those of you listening with our intent series, mm-hmm. so I'm loosely tying this in. It's kind of a cheat, I know, that's okay. God put, put this on me, so I wanted to talk about this. So it ties back to Sinai somehow. <laughs> but anyway, so he gets the first set of commandments, and... Satan is in the camp, accusing the brethren, rabble-rousing, and convincing them to sin. While this 40-day experience is happening on the mountain, Satan is in the camp convincing them to rebel with the Golden Calf Rebellion, which occurs in chapter 32 of Exodus, and they do. So Moses comes down on the 40th day, and the 40th day he receives the commandments, right? Ratifies Mm -hmm. the covenant, and they already broke it. (laughs) So he shatters it. He goes back up to get the commandments again. But this time, he has to cut the stone. It's not directly from the hand of God anymore. Moses cuts the stone this time. So something shifted. 
And we'll get into that in, in future episodes because I think that shift is really important in, in understanding who we are, our identity in Christ. I think there's a, it's very important to understand what shifted and what was restored to understand who we really are in Jesus, because I think that's something the enemy has been trying to conceal from the church for a very long time, who we are. We have an identity crisis, yes. I believe, and I think he's finally awakening a, lot of, awakening a lot of believers to our true identity in these last days. But again, that's way beyond the scope of we have 30 minutes left, maybe. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Yes. So he goes up and gets the commandments again, another 40 days. And then I, I believe the third 40 days is when he goes up to plea on behalf of the people for God not to wipe them out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he goes up and he goes through this, this, it's a repentance process. It's almost like a disciplinary process, almost like he's having a disciplinary hearing with God, yeah. right? So another 40 days. And again, we have this, it's governance. He's going up. God could righteously destroy the people for what they did. He'd be just to do that. And Moses goes up to talk to him and we have this 40 day period this seems to be tied to, to governance of some kind, where God decides at the end of the 40 days to hear Moses out and grant clemency. He grants the mercy mm-hmm. at the end of it. And again, I think we see this governance. So I guess the question is, when we look at these 40-day examples throughout Scripture, whether it's Noah with the flood, whether it's Jesus in the wilderness, whether it's Elijah in the wilderness, whether it's Moses on the mountain, whether it's Goliath in the camp, uh, the other examples escape me now. I guess, you know, 40 years would count too, I think. You still have that 40 principle. Yeah, right. So, you know, the 40 years in the wilderness, what have you. I think the, the two most important things to identify to understand what the principle represents is what is God carrying the person through and what is he carrying them to? Yes. What would you say, Chris? Oh. You knew this was coming, didn't you? <laughs> I was like, man, I skimmed by with that other question because I'm like, I'm out of my league on this one. So let me ask, let's let's focus on Jesus and his temptation. Right after his baptism, he goes through 40 days of temptation directly from Satan. What is, and, and again, I, I understand he is God, right? He is, he is the son, the person of God, but he's giving us a template here. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So what is he being carried through? Through trials. Through trial. Right. What what would you what would you say the purpose of that is? If it was us, obviously mm-hmm. we might, you know, Jesus is Jesus. But if that was us, I think he's showing us what we can expect. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if we're going through that same trial, what's the purpose of it? In your opinion? I think to sh- No wrong answer, well, so don't no well, pressure. Well, I think one to 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 I think it's a couple a couple of reasons. One to show that, you know, you one, you're strong enough to do this. Two, I'm here with you to do this. And three is on the other side of that is the victory of you now have a stronger bond with me mm-hmm. because you've we've walked together through this through this trial period. You trusted me, I delivered you. Now you trust me even more. You know, trust begets more trust. The the more somebody proves their loyalty and trustworthiness to you, the more apt you are and how quickly, more quickly you are to trust that person in the future. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that correlates to, he doesn't have to show us, he doesn't have to show us anything. He could say walk by walk by blind faith, but he shows us time and time and time again. Trust me, I'm here. 
Yeah. What's and I think we get caught up with we don't take this like we talked about we don't take the small things to them mm-hmm. because we 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 worry so much about the big stuff that we I'm rambling again sorry no but, don't there's a there's the, a correlation away finish your thought but you know we don't take everything to him so we miss those opportunities for him to be there for us yeah mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a side note but that reminds me of something you said recently Micah that you know we're so focused you know God will do big things. I'm stealing, I'm stealing this from you. I'm just going to, I'm going to quote you in case you forgot what you said, but you say, you know, God will do big things. We can expect him to do big things. We should expect him to do big things. But, and I'm like you, I worry that, and I worry this about myself too, that we're so focused on the big things we expect him to do that we're missing the little things that he's doing all the time. Exactly. And missing the little things he wants to, wants us to do for those around us too. Yes. You know, I, you know, I, another pastor in town recently said, and it really struck me hard, you know, stopped in the middle of the sermon and looked at the people. He's talking about, you know, the the parable that gets Samaritan and being there, being present with that person that needed help. And he stopped and he looked at the crowd and he's like, how many needs did you all pass by to make sure you weren't late today? You know, mm-hmm. how many needs did you pass? How many people on the side of the road could you have stopped to help? Because mm-hmm. he's like, I'd, you know, he didn't say this, but... I think what he was getting at is I'd rather you be late yes. and providing for the need of someone who needed it absolutely, as opposed to being here on time mm-hmm. and, and adhering absolutely. to that rich ritualistic, I've yes. got to be there at 10 mentality. Absolutely. And I know you would agree with yeah, that. That's absolutely. why I bring that up because yeah, it's definitely. so important. I think the most important thing, I know this is, you got me, you got me rambling, Chris. Right. I'm going to blame you. This is a good That's thing. That's all right. It's a good well, thing. Let me stop you for a minute. I think in, in before you go too far, much further and it gets away from this point, I can't remember where I read it or who said it, but it was, you know, if you think about the the way wars end, it wasn't it wasn't one thing. Most of the time, it wasn't one thing that ended them. It was a series of battles. Yeah. So yeah, we can expect God to do great things, and He can do great things. But I think His real victories are the small battles that we fight each day mm-hmm. that he wins with us. And I second that's, that even, I'm sorry, go ahead. So yeah, I would say that's what leads to the big victories. I 100% agree. And you can dissect that even further. And those small battles are won by individual little seemingly insignificant decisions made by, you know, sergeants and corporals and privates throughout the course of that battle that all come together to lead to victory. And, you know, you can't take, you know, one series of decisions that this one corporal made out of that equation because that contributed to the overall victory. Mm-hmm. It was critical, yeah. you know, and we we tend to think we have such a, and I, I again, I know this is a side trail, but I think it's an important one. We have a culture that's obsessed with celebrity. Yeah. And I'm, I, I know I've said this before, but I'm convinced that celebrity obsession has infested the church. And now we think that we have to have, like, you know, we have to have this super successful podcast. It's got to have 10,000 views. You know, or, you know, we have to get our, we have to get our sermons online and we have to get, you know, 25,000 clicks and likes every single Sunday or we're not really successful. Are we really doing that because we're, we're seeking to make disciples or are we doing that because we're chasing our own ideas of success based upon society's ideas of celebrity? And I worry it's the latter because we're not looking at the little things. We're not looking at the individual people. We're looking at these big these big grand success stories that I don't think God cares about. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think he cares one bit. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about of we put, we put emulating that before emulating him. Mm-hmm. We, 
we, you know, we, we pick those people out and we say, oh, there's somebody that I want to emulate. And, and no matter how, no matter how many books a person sells, no matter how many, you know, likes that a pastor gets uh, of a mega church gets on his social media page, eventually you dig hard enough or long enough, you're going to find things that aren't kosher, that, 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 that aren't implicative of that, you know, and I, and I'm not saying they're, you know, they're all that way. I'm saying they're human and eventually they falter. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the point where we're, well, we dump that person and we go to the next one because we haven't seen their fault yet. Yeah. Until the point we see that person's fault and then we dump that person. So we're constantly finding, trying to find that celebrity status to, to emulate to, and to follow when the person, when, the only one celebrity we should be emulating is him. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, to drive it that home a little bit more, we're not giving we're not giving each other, and I've been guilty of this, so don't don't think that I'm accusing anybody full transparency. We're not giving each other grace to make mistakes. Yeah. We're not. As soon as somebody else may we expect that grace for us. We expect <laughs> everybody to have that grace for us. But when other people make mistakes, we're very quick to be critical and harsh and dismissive of them and to break ties. And we should not be like that. We should be growing out of that. That's the mm-hmm. behavior of, a, of an infant. And we need to grow past that. Did I cut you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. It, I knew it. But I mean, we, talk, we talked about it. So, yeah. yeah. It's hard. One of the hardest things to do is to acknowledge those areas where we've really messed up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And come clean about it. Be transparent about it. Be open about it. And walk away a better person. We can only do that through him. I think that's the point, one of the points of the still small voice. You, know, you brought up Elijah. You, know, you yeah. have the fire. You have the earthquake. You have all this radical stuff happening. And he's like, I've just seen your power on Mount Carmel. I know you can rain fire from heaven. I mean, I, I know that. But it's that still, still small voice to to listen to. And I think going back to the temptation, I think it's uh, also important to note that um, the enemy, the devil, always accuses us. Well, if you're a Christian, you wouldn't be tempted to do that. Mm-hmm. The temptation is not the sin. Christ was perfect. It's what we do with that temptation. You know that thought that rolls into your mind, or that temptation to take something that's not ours, or you know what do we, what do we, what do what what do we what do we do with that? You know right. what do we do we give into that temptation or do we squash it? And I think that's where that's the triumph. That's the when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. That's what he's doing. He's test. He's showing us an example, of course, but it's an example for us to know. Okay, I've got a choice. When that impure thought comes into my mind, I can't always control that, but I can control what I do with that thought. Right. I can control whether I entertain it, then it begins to lust, then it begins to, you know, go down a path of sin, or I can say, okay, I'm going to get into some scripture, I'm going to turn on some music, I'm going to get in the word, whatever it is for you to to sidetrack from that thought and to, and to squash that thought and to bring that thought into captivity under the obedience of Christ, like he mm-hmm. tells us tells us to do. And so I think that's important for us. And I think that's why when we're talking about the temptation, I think it's important for us to realize we're going to be tempted. We're human. You know, Christ was tempted, but temptation is not the sin. It's what you do with it. Exactly. It's giving into the temptation. That's the sin. Yeah. I think that's very important. It's almost like Jesus lured Satan 
into that valley. Yeah. And he was the victim there, not Jesus. It's almost like he lured him there so that we could see his strategy. Because his strategy doesn't change all that much. He's going to tempt you. <laughs> and then when you succumb, as soon as you acknowledge you've succumbed to the temptation and try to pivot away from it, he changes his he changes his strategy to guilt tripping you. Yes. It goes from, it shifts away from tempting you because he already got you to sin. Yeah. So once he gets you to sin, then you repent. And as soon as you repent, he's like, nah, he can't forgive you because you already screwed up too much. Yep. He shifts it. It's all from the enemy. Yeah. It's not from God. You know, if, if that was from God, then that citation I referenced from Ezekiel wouldn't be there. Yes. He's willing to forgive us if we turn. Satan doesn't want us to turn. Yes. He wants us to make a mistake that separates us. And then he wants to guilt trip us into not repenting and correcting the separation, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, shifting us back to this 40-day thing, our, our conversation almost almost went into the realm of transformation, right? That's sort of what we're talking about. We're talking about transformation, yeah. being transformed into his image to be more like him. Yes. And I tend to believe that's what this 40-day phenomenon represents in a way. Yeah. I think it's a pathway toward transformation or consecration which can be kind of the same thing. You're, you're being brought to a different level yes. somehow. So I, and I, I think we see this in these, these four examples I gave, and I think we see it in virtually every example in some form that we find this 40-day principle in. It's not always the same sort of transformation. It's not always the same sort of consecration, but it's always the same principle, I believe. So when you look at, at Jesus, we just talked about that. He's being tested. That was the word you used. He's being tested, right? Mm -hmm. So he's being tested to see if his metal is true. Right. You test metal yeah. to see how pure it is. Obviously, Jesus is completely pure. So, you know, there was no reason for the testing, but it's just I believe Jesus gives us the example of the path that we all have to follow. Yeah. So I think that we can all expect that sort of testing at some point after our baptism, if our baptism is genuine. Yeah. I believe I've experienced it. I think most of us have yeah. some sort of testing and you experienced that here. And that led to his ultimate consecration in his ministry after this. He's consecrated, and he engages in his ministry at, the, at mm -hmm. this point. So it led to a consecration. Not necessarily a transformation, because Jesus didn't need that. Right. So this is a different outlier case, I think, but it led to a consecration. I think you see that with David and Goliath. Mm -hmm. You know, the people had chosen Saul, which was a terrible mistake, right? And God rejects Saul as king for his rebellion, chooses to anoint David instead. I believe this is the point where we have, we have Goliath stepping into the role of Satan here, essentially, mm -hmm. and accusing the brethren is essentially what's happening. So they're going through this wilderness period, and nobody's standing up. And God leads David to stand up, and it ends in his consecration in the eyes of the people. He'd already been anointed, right? But this was the point at which the people viewed him as their king. Yeah. This was really a shift. I believe this is the point where David is, 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 is I think anointing and consecration are two different things. Yes. God had, had anointed him. I believe this is the point where in the eyes of the people, God consecrated him. This is your king. Get ready for it. Might be a few years. This is your king, mm. right? Sure. 40-day principle. I think we see it with Elijah. I think, I like what you said, by the way. You mentioned, and I want to elaborate that on a little, a little bit. It's He's almost pointing like- pointing at Micah, not me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Micah, I want to elaborate on that. I'm not putting you on the spot, but I like that because it's almost like he had he had seen God do such great, magnificent, all-inspiring things that he'd lost sight of God as a personal yeah. friend, 
right? He was he was okay. just this powerful being in the sky raining fire down, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And it's almost like God led him to remind him, hey, I'm your father. Yes. I'm your friend. Yes. I'm more than, I, I'm not to you what I am to the priests of Baal. Right. I did that for their benefit because they needed it because they're my enemy. That's not who I am to you. Yeah. It's almost like that reminder, mm-hmm. right? And I, I believe that the 40 days for Elijah, it was almost like God's way of getting Elijah's eyes off his problem and getting his eyes back on his God. Yes. Because it's, I think Jezebel had tempted him into shifting his focus away and losing hope. And he leads him back to that place of hope and ultimately a, a, a a different level because, you know, we need not forget it didn't happen on the 40th day, but after he shifts his focus back with this 40 day period, it's just, I think we can call this transformation in a way. Sure. Right. I think Elijah had been pulled astray a little bit in his focus and pulled back again and this led to him being taken up in the chariot yeah. of fire. This led to him being taken up in heaven. Okay, so this 40-day 40 40 principle happened first. God put him through this period first, through the wilderness, before he got to the chariot of fire. And I don't think that's accidental. I don't think those two events can be dissected away from one another. Right. I think they're linked. He had to go through this wilderness experience first and re- be reminded that God was a personal God to him. Then he could get in the chariot of fire. And I believe we have the same with Moses. Yeah, It's not necessarily accusation from the enemy for Moses personally, but it was for the people. Because yeah. we have to remember that Moses wasn't on the mountain for himself. Right. He was on the mountain for the people to accept a covenant between the people and God. Now, Satan wasn't allowed on the mountain. Right. right? So Satan had no access to Moses. So he couldn't tempt him while Moses is on the, on the mountain being taught. So the 40 days for Moses is a teaching. Right, he's being taught, which led to the end of the ratifying of the covenant. But Satan's allowed in the camp, right? Yeah. And the forty days was about the people, not just about Moses. So Satan led the people astray, yeah. right? And that led to the second forty days, where Moses goes up again to be taught again. <laughs> Probably didn't have to learn very much that time, but I think there was a shift, and he may have had to learn some things that were going to change yeah. because of the of the mistake they had made. And it wasn't going to be rectified until Jesus. And then he goes back up again to plead for their cause. Right? Again, it, it, it all points back to a journey yes. of some kind to a destination point that God wants us to. So we start out at a place that God doesn't want us. And he takes us through this 40-day journey to a place he wants us to be. And whether that's consecration or, uh, you know, a grafting into a covenant or a transformation— it, it, it's always similar in some way to that. And it's, it's, it, al- it almost always is some sort of sanctification process or purification process or a teaching or a testing yeah. or a refinement. Yeah. But it's always very similar. And I can't think of a single example where you could point to and say, this doesn't fit that, that paradigm. Because yeah. I think it always does. Even when we look at Noah and the Flood, the enemy had caused the entire population to be led astray. Right. And I think you could I think you could make an easy argument that the 40 days represented God's purification of the planet to be reconsecrated again. Sure. And I believe that's the first 40 day example we have. Is there one before that? I don't know of one. I don't either. I think it's the first. Which, you know, it, that wouldn't change the opinion any, but right. I do believe I believe there's a principle here. And I don't think it's just a 
it's on the pages of scripture so it doesn't apply to us. I think it can be real in our lives too. Yeah. I've experienced it in kind of a weird way. Like I say, we, we talked about it in that episode, mm-hmm. Kings in the Field. He led me to do another one. And really it was Bob that reminded me of it when you sent me that message that really led me on this, yeah. this kind of obsession to dig back into it again. What does that mean? Right. And maybe that's for me personally, Bob's last little legacy for mm-hmm. me. You know what I mean? Sure. To to kind of highlight, because I don't know if I would have looked into this otherwise. I don't think I would have. And just thinking about that, Bob went through his wilderness. Yes. He went through a very difficult wilderness journey, and it led to, kind of like Elijah, being taken up. Yeah. <laughs> it led to the place where God wanted him to be. There was yep. a consecration at the end of it. Yes. And that can be ours, too. I guess that's all I had. What are your all's thoughts? I just learned a lot in a very short time. processing? Yeah, still processing. I think no. we'll talk a little bit either next week or the week after because I don't, I don't want to do it in this episode. For one thing, we're running long and we need to wrap this up, this episode, but I think I want to continue this discussion on the 40 with, with a connection next week to Elul. We talked about okay. that in the the King is in the Field. Rather than just re-release that episode, I want to I want to discuss that again, and I'd like to discuss that with with you on Micah because I don't think you were on that episode. And I think that'd be an interesting interesting discussion to have because I I believe the ultimate example aside from Jesus in the wilderness is the principle of Elul leading up to the Day of Atonement. I think that gives us the ultimate picture of God's real intent with this rule of forty or this phenomenon of the forty days for us sure. and how how it leads us to him and and where it should be leading i guess but i think we'll do that next week okay it's a little much to get i don't want to rush through it right but i also want to tie it back to our uh, discussion in the statutes we need to get back into that because mm, yeah. we're getting up to the three harvest festivals and that'll be a fun discussion to have yeah. so especially since passover's coming up yes and i actually just to give you guys kind of a little loose roadmap those of you listening uh, next week, we probably will get back into the statutes. We're on chapter 22, I believe. Mm-hmm. We need to finish that up. May not read each individual statute. There's a few that I want to highlight that I think are really impactful for us that, that that bear some discussion and then dig into the three harvest festivals. And then maybe we'll lead that into a full episode on the Passover since we're coming up to the Passover in about a month and a half. And I'd like to have an episode out before then. That's crazy. It's coming it's up quick. <laughs> Unless the Spirit tells me to do something completely different, then we won't do that. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But if you guys don't have any final thoughts on anything, I'm going to close this out with our scripture reference. No, I think I'm good. You good? You good? Okay. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 through 21. As I bring it up on my tablet. You want to race me, Chris? No, I'm okay. No? I don't want to show you up. You just want to mock me? That's okay. I'm already there. It was, wait, no, I'm not already there. 2 Timothy 2, I said, right? Yeah. You didn't answer me. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I thought it was like a, what's the word for that? A, uh, oh no, I'm going to get the music. I'm going to get the music. (laughs) Yeah, you're getting the music for sure. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. It was a rhetorical <laughs> question. I think I don't. I think I stumbled on that word because it's spelt so odd. It's like 
This word doesn't belong in the English dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bologna. Bologna. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Baloney. Yeah. There's no right way no, to say that. The way it still no. must be real. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. that word should be purged, I agree. Right. That food item should be purged. <laughs> yes. All right. So 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 2, starting at verse 19, and he says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure. appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to us ramble on. I hope it was edifying. I enjoyed the conversation. I did too. Chris enjoyed the conversation. Mike, I did you? too, yeah. Absolutely. We all enjoyed the conversation. Second half hit pretty hard for me. So, <laughs> I hope all of you listening enjoyed it as well. If you could and you want to help us grow, I would appreciate you following our podcast on whatever you're listening on, whatever platform you're on, uh, leaving a positive review if that's an option, hitting the bell icon so you know when we upload new episodes. If you want to reach out to us, we can be found. We can be found. Ooh, I stumbled there. We can be found on social media. I say that with disgust for a reason. We're on Facebook and Getter and Parlor and Twitter. Yeah, couldn't remember the other one. Right. There's a reason. I might leave Twitter. Twitter yeah. stinks. <laughs> <laughs> we can also be found on YouTube and Rumble if that's your if that's your jam. Uh, like I said, the links will be in the description below for all of our social medias and wherever we're at. Uh, I think that's all I got. Is there anything else I'm supposed to say, Chris? Help me out here. Yeah. Keep your feet steady upon the path and pursue that filly faith. Very good. Catch you next time. Shalom. God bless. I wasn't going to steal shalom from you. <laughs>